0: What's up world, I'm Cameron McKinney and this is Pop Culture Spotlight, a podcast about the movies Death on the Nile, Apollo 10 and a Half, and the HBO show Winning Time. First, let's talk about Death on the Nile. Here's a quick synopsis. World-renowned detective Hercule Poirot is trying to solve a slew of murders that occur on the Nile in Egypt. The film stars Kenneth Branagh, Tom Bateman, Annette Bening, Gal Gadot, Armie Hammer, Letitia Wright, Emma Mackey, and Russell Brand. Spotlight performances. The best thing about Kenneth Branagh's two Poirot adaptations has been Tom Bateman as Book, the best friend of Poirot. He's giving a movie star caliber performance in these movies, and it needed that from him. I also really enjoyed his performance in the Liam Neeson action movie Cold Pursuit. The other performance from this movie I really enjoyed came from sex education star Emma Mackie who plays Jacqueline, a woman who has lost her fiancé to her former friend played by Godot. Tom Bateman will next appear in Ron Howard's 13 Lives with Vigo Mortensen, Colin Farrell, and Joel Edgerton, and Mackie in the movies Emily with Finn Whitehead and Greta Gerwig's Barbie with Margot Robbie as Barbie and Ryan Gosling as Ken. It feels like as a director, Kenneth Branagh is at a crossroads in his career. He just won an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay for Belfast, the movie he made about his childhood. He can either continue to make movies like that or make big studio movies like Death on the Nile, which is good but not special. I think Belfast was special, and most of his studio movies he's made over the past decade and a half aren't. Thor and Cinderella were both really good, but Murder on the Orient Express, Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit, and Death on the Nile were average at best, and Artemis Fowl was a complete disaster. I'm really interested to see which kind of movie Kenneth Branagh directs next. Will he continue to make big studio movies or make more movies like Belfast? I would choose the latter, but maybe there really is a way for him to make both kind of movies. One of the only reasons I've watched these Branagh Poirot movies is because they are star-studded, especially Murder on the Orient Express. In that film, you had Dame Judi Dench, Johnny Depp, Michelle Pfeiffer, Penelope Cruz, Willem Dafoe, Josh Gad, Leslie Odom Jr., Daisy Ridley and Olivia Coleman. The Death on the Nile has some stars in Ned Benning and Gal Gadot, but it does not nearly have as much star power as the first movie. And both of these films Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile get okay performances but they have all time movie stars in them. It's almost impossible not to get a great performance from at least one of those stars, but these movies have kind of failed to do that. These Movies are kind of bland. The issue I have with both movies is that they are both straightforward adaptations of an Agatha Christie murder mystery. It doesn't propel the genre forward the way say Knives Out does. That film isn't a straightforward adaptation of an Agatha Christie novel. It just pays homage to them while doing its own thing. Death on the Nile is too traditional. My favorite movies are the ones I watch and go I've never seen anything like this. I've watched the Death on the Nile and I go, it's a really good movie, but I've seen so many other films like this one. It also has to be said, I can't stand Ken the Branagh as this character doing this ludicrous accent. Yeah, you can say the same thing about Daniel Craig and Knives Out, but at least his accent is funny and entertaining. You can't have a detective movie where the least interesting character is the detective himself. It's also really hard to make a great whodunit murder mystery movie nowadays, because when you watch the these movies, all you're thinking about is who the killer is. And that's great in the moment, but if the answer comes to be someone you don't want it to be, then you kind of get frustrated. Luckily for this movie, I liked who the killer ended up being. Overall, I did enjoy Death on the Nile. It has a good plot and a satisfying ending, but it doesn't stand out. It's not exciting or all that memorable. Sometimes you can watch a movie and go, this is a good movie, but it's not a movie that you're like, I want to revisit at this movie over and over again. Like, I love this movie. And those are the type of movies I'm searching for. This movie is perfectly fine. It's good. It's super well made. I will say, I really don't love the look of these movies. Like, I think this movie should look a lot better than what it really does look like. The movie is just missing something. It doesn't have that it factor that a Knives Out has. I think on paper, it's a good movie that should be a lot better. Like, if I list those names of people, People, that they're going to be in a movie together, you think you're going to get something great out of it. Like, take Annette Benning for example. Annette Benning has been one of the most consistently great actresses of her generation. Her work in this movie is just kind of okay. Again, I don't want to harp on this, but these two movies, these Poirot, Kenneth Branagh-directed films have had James Duty Dench, Willem Dafoe, Michelle Pfeiffer, Johnny Depp, and Penelope Cruz, and not one all- great performance out of any of them. That's almost impossible to do. And I find it kind of ironic that the best performance in both of these movies come from Tom Bateman, someone I didn't even know before I watched these movies, not these screen acting icons. When you gather together that many movie stars to be in your movies, I expect them to be great and neither Murder on the Orient Express or Death on the Nile have been great. I hope the franchise ends here. And I want to reiterate, I don't think Death on the Nile is bad. It just doesn't excite me. Death on the Nile is not bad. It's just average, which I think is the worst place to be as a movie because I have no real strong opinions about it. Like, yeah, I'm talking about it on a podcast, but I'll probably never think about this movie again. Let's switch gears and talk about the movie Apollo 10 and a half. Here's a quick synopsis. Stan is a young boy who lives in Houston, Texas in the late 60s, during the height of NASA's space travel, the film stars Jack Black, Josh Wiggins, Zachary Levi, and Glenn Powell. What I enjoyed most about Apollo 10 and 10.5 is the movie goes into a deep dive into what Houston was like when NASA and space travel was everything in American culture. The chase to the moon was massive and something we take for granted today. I also didn't know how big NASA was to every single person who lived in Houston during the late 60s. They had had a Disney-type theme park there. This movie was directed by Richard Linklater, and I've been a fan of Linklater since I watched School of Rock starring Jack Black. He's also directed Dazed and Confused, the Before Trilogy with Ethan Hawke and Julie Depley, Boyhood and Everybody Wants Some. He's one of the most formidable indie filmmakers of all time. You can't predict what he's going to do next. Sometimes his movies become surprise hits like School of Rock, and other times they become hidden gems like everybody wants some. Apollo 10 and a half is that rare non-Disney Pixar animated film that can be enjoyed by both kids and adults. And the reason that is, is because it's the perfect mix of reality and fiction. In the movie, the kid stands secretly works for NASA. And while this tall tale is happening, the film is also exploring American life was like in the late 60s, which shows movies and music were popular at the time. I've never really seen anything like this movie before. Like it's half an animated kids movie. It's half a documentary. It's like Richard Linklater's love letter to this time period of his life. And overall Apollo 10 and a half is a wonderful piece of nostalgia, especially for someone like myself who did not live during this time period. I liked watching a movie about a time where NASA and space travel were important and meant something to people. And I think this movie proves something. You can use nostalgia in a good way. Like that nostalgic feeling can make you yearn for a time period you weren't a part of. Sometimes in modern movie making, we all know they use nostalgia in a dirty way. Like they bring back iconic characters to sell you products, to sell you movies, to sell you something. This movie is not selling you anything. Richard Linklater has really nothing to gain by sharing this part of his life with us. It's just super entertaining and super informative. It's like what I was saying when I was talking about Death on the Nile. I want movies that I've never seen before and I've never seen anything like Apollo 10 and a half. And not only is it super original, it's also really great. As someone who grew up in the 1990s, I don't have any fondness for space travel whatsoever. NASA really doesn't mean anything to me. So to get an idea of what it was like to live during that time period, I really enjoyed the movie First Man, the Damian Chazelle, Ryan Gosling movie. I would love to watch this movie and then watch that film back to back. You also can't help but feel sad for the state of space travel in modern times. Think about the fact that Jeff Bezos and Pete Davidson are going up in space. Like going up in space used to be a big deal that millions upon millions of people used to gather to their televisions together as a family and watch these people go into space. Now it means nothing to absolutely anyone i hope we get back to a time period like that and if we don't it's cool to look back at something like apollo 10 and a half the last thing i'll say about this movie and richard linklater is his biggest strength as a filmmaker is he's able to transport you back to a time period you're not in he did it in dazed and confused where he brought you to the 70s in high school and then he did it in everybody wants some where he brought you to the 80s with a baseball team and now he's doing it with apollo 10 and a half, and I hope he continues to explore different time periods because he's really a master of it. We overuse that word authentic in our society today, but that's exactly what Apollo 10 and a half is. It's an authentic animated film. It's easily the best film ever made about the relationship between Houston and NASA. Also, not a lot of filmmakers could pull off making a movie about a boy going into space and make it not feel silly, and that's exactly what Richard later pulled off here. Let's switch gears one final time and talk about the HBO show Winning Time. Here's a quick synopsis. The show chronicles the events that led the Lakers of the 1980s, a fledging NBA franchise, to become the showtime Lakers that would go on to dominate the NBA. The show stars John C. Riley, Quincy Isaiah, Jason Clark, Adrian Brody, Rob Morgan, Gabby Hoffman, Sally Field, Jason Siegel, Solomon Hughes, and Devon Nixon, spotlight performances. John C. Riley has long been one of the best supporting actors and one of the only actors who have properly gone back and forth between drama and comedy. He's been in Gangs in New York and Step Brothers, which make him the perfect choice to play Jerry Buss on this show because the show goes back and forth between tones. Riley is excellent as the colorful owner of the Lakers. It also has to be said that Will Ferrell wanted to play the role of Jerry Bus and Adam McKay chose John C. Riley over him. That trio made the movies Talladega Nights and Stepbrother, so it does kind of feel like an end of an era, and the show is partly responsible for that ending. One of the most talked about, if not the most talked about, performance on this show comes from Jason Clark, who is playing none other than the logo himself, Jerry West. And let's just say it's a massive understatement saying this performance does not put the Hall of Famer in the best light. Clark has done fantastic work as a supporting actor in movies such as Lawless, Mudbound, and First Man, and he gave a super underrated leading performance in Chappaquiddick as Ted Kennedy. Is his performance in Good Time over the top and jarring? Yes, but it's super funny and entertaining, and that's what the show is going for. I desperately want Adrian Brody to show up in every HBO show till the end of time, Brody was excellent on Succession in one episode, and in this he's playing Pat Riley, who is not yet coach of the Lakers, he's a team broadcaster. I also have to talk about how good Quincy Isaiah and Solomon Hughes are, as Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They could not have picked better actors to portray these basketball icons. The show comes from Adam McKay, who has become a polarizing filmmaker. His last two films, Vice and Don't Look Up, were super divisive. What I like most about McKay is he is playing with the idea of what a movie and what a show should look like. Take this show for example. The main characters are constantly breaking the fourth wall. This has become a staple for Adam McKay. He used it in The Big Shore with Ryan Gosling and he also did it in Vice with Jesse Plemons. McKay is definitely someone who loves to shock The audience, I mean, look at Vice. There is a scene halfway through that movie where the credits start rolling. He loves to play with what the idea of a movie actually is and give you the opposite of what you think that actually is. I'm a massive fan of his work because I think he's one of the last few filmmakers who can be both insightful and funny with their movies. A lot of detractors of this show are wondering if the show is truthful and how it depicts these real life people and events. The show is adapted from Showtime, a book written by author Jeff Perlman. So some of it must be factual, and if it's not, here's what you should do. Go watch the hundreds upon hundreds of documentaries available about the Showtime Lakers. The reason I'm watching this show is to be entertained, not to learn about the history of the NBA. We seem to have this conversation every time there's a show or movie based about actual events. We ask ourselves, did this really happen? Who cares if it really happened? All I am looking for is entertainment. I am not looking for the facts. Again, if I want the facts, read a book or watch a documentary. That's how you'll learn what really happened. There's some truth in this show. There's also some nonsense to go with it, but there's also a lot of fun. And also what this show has going for it is it has movie stars. Gabby Hoffman was just excellent in the movie. Come on, come on. Now she's in a show about the 80s. Lakers, yes, sign me up for that. Jason Segel has a great dramatic, comedic actor. Now he's in a show about the '80s Lakers. The list goes on and on. Tracy Letts, I didn't even mention Sally Field. Sally Field is an Oscar-winning actress who has a supporting bit part in a show about the Showtime Lakers. This show has star power, and that's one of the best things that Adam McKay does with his projects. He gets a lot of movie stars to be in them. That's why. I want. I want movies and shows that feature tons and tons of movie stars doing interesting work. Who could have ever imagined Adrian Brody playing Pat Riley? I will say when this show was first announced, it was reported that Bo Burnham was going to play Celtics legend Larry Bird. And I loved that casting so much because Bo Burnham is not only one of the best comedians working today, he's also a really good actor. I really liked him in Promising Young Woman, with Carey Mulligan, and sadly, Bo Burnham has left the project. I'm still super excited to see that rivalry between Bird and Magic portrayed on this show. What's super interesting about this show is we all know where it's headed. We know the Lakers become the team of the 80s, winning five championships with Kareem and Magic. The real surprise comes from the depiction of these real-life people. Again, I could never have imagined they would have portrayed Jerry West in this fashion on an HBO show, but here we are, and it's super entertaining and fun. It also goes to show how much content you can get out of one great basketball team. I mean, remember a few years ago when the 10-part Michael Jordan documentary was out? We were all super invested, even though we knew that the Jordan Bulls became the team of the 90s. We wanted every stupid detail. We wanted to know about everything that happened in the 1990s with Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. That's how popular the NBA has become. And what's interesting about winning time is it's in that time period where the NBA has not yet become that. Like, the NBA becomes a star league because of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. They were really the first mega superstars in the NBA. You had other great players. You had Bill Russell. You had Julius Erving. But I think the first major stars that became world famous in the NBA are... Magic Johnson, and Larry Bird, and I can't wait to see that be depicted on this show. Another thing this show has going for it is you do not have to be a massive NBA fan to enjoy this show. It has lots of laughs, even if you don't understand basketball all that much. Winning time is exactly what I want from shows based on historical events and real-life events. It's like The Great. Like Nobody is mad about the show The Great even though that show like Winning Time is playing with the truth the difference is people care about the 1980s Lakers there are still many people alive who witnessed that dynasty and think fondly about those times and I understand it we get mad when shows play with the truth only if we lived during those time periods like nobody is around from the time of Catherine the Great so nobody cares that that show plays with the truth but people grew up in the 1980s 80s and are kind of ticked off that this show is depicting Jerry West in this fashion. You will most likely never get Magic Johnson, Kareem, or Jerry West to remark on this show at all. They will ignore it like it doesn't exist. And I think that's good for the show because I think projects that are approved by the real life people are mostly boring and paint those people as saints. And even though they might be great people, they weren't saints. Overall, winning time is a wild and fun show that is playing with the format of television, and I hope we get more of it than just one season. Thanks for listening to this edition of Pop Culture Spotlight. I'm Cameron McKinney, and there'll be a new episode of the podcast every Thursday. I highly recommend you watch Apollo 10 and a Half and the HBO show Winning Time. Next week on the podcast, I'm putting the spotlight on the movies The Night House starring Rebecca Hall and Uncharted starring Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. So tune into that and please rate, review, and subscribe.